Hey everyone, this is Rob. Thanks so much for listening to This Developer's Life. Uh, running this podcast, well, it costs a little bit of money for us, and so that's why we need sponsorship. And Scott and I want to thank the following people. Number one, of course, is Twilio. If you need voice or SMS capabilities for your application, go check out Twilio at twilio.com, T-W-I-L-I-O.com. We also have a new sponsor this week. It is Sublime SVN. Go check them out at sublimesvn.com. And it's a subversion server built for Windows. Comes with a full-blown web interface that allows you to do all kinds of cool stuff, like automatically back up your repository, email, RSS, user configuration, has templates for your repository. I watched the Getting Started video up on their site. I have to tell you, that's pretty impressive stuff. Thank you so much to Sublime SVN and Twilio for sponsoring this week. Now let's get on with the show. A couple of weeks back, my comrade Scott Hanselman made a crack on the show that struck a nerve with a lot of people. They're working on really current stuff and they're super fired up. It's kind of neat. I think there's uh, there's a reason they're not to become a manager. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always hear about people who can't keep up because there's so much. And the more and more layers of abstraction that come in, the more and more people get overwhelmed and they give up and they become a manager. With all due respect to the managers that are listening. As with most comments that hit harder than you like, at the time I didn't think much of it and neither did Scott. But we've received so much feedback, you know, good or bad, saying that really stuck in my brain. I'm stuck being a manager. And let me tell you, I have an idea for a podcast. It's all about management. It's a good idea. Yeah, I found myself there. When I worked at Microsoft, I was a project manager. And as Scott is now, which is funny, that's the title that we both held at Microsoft, and Scott still holds. I was asked to do things like spreadsheets and timelines, requirements gathering, and so on really not my strength. And for a lot of developers, that's just a complete nightmare. So what do you do as a developer when you're asked to manage? Stop writing code, stop creating, stop contributing in a tangible way. Now you just got to carry around a clipboard, act important, hold meetings, do phone calls, requirements gathering, agendas, driving people crazy. Developer's nightmare. this constant fantasy that I'm going to be able to go into one of our systems and actually without anybody really questioning it, going in and doing some modifications I wanted to actually have done to that system, but we've never had time to schedule, get, you know, for, you know, get myself into actually get into the code again without, you know, just surprise everybody you know after, at the end of the week hey you know i actually updated the system we could finally uh you know deploy this i made these changes in addition you know i actually feel like i'm i'm doing something useful
That's Mark Friedman, one of our listeners, who listened to Scott's comment a couple weeks back, and it resonated with him. He's been stuck in management for a really long time, and has been longing to get back to the code. Showed us a couple of blog posts that he had wrote, and he and I exchanged a bunch of emails and said, well, this is a great topic for a show. You guys should find someone who did XYZ. And I said, well, Mark, why don't I just talk to you? Mark was kind enough to share his story with us about being trapped in management. The very first feeling, I, as soon as I get out of the elevator doors, is a feeling of dread. Uh, I mean, the only reason I'm still there is because I, you know, I love the people I work with. And it's the only thing I even, the only thing that motivates me is is still, and it's something I pushed myself also, is, is at least, even though I might not, you know, be crazy about the business I'm in, uh, you know, there's other people who are spending most of their lives doing this, working for this company. And whatever I do at least contributes to, to them. So it's the only thing that keeps, keeps me going. But other than that, as soon as I get in the office, I feel dread. Okay, I got a list of meetings all day long, another day of wasting away, of not using my mind the way I should be using it. Check my email, check my schedule. It's going to be another you know day full of meetings. There's nothing I'm going to really accomplish today. You know, walk out, get my coffee to keep me going to to some kind of to the next step. Then go back to my desk, say, okay, I'm going to sit down and see if I could actually take a look at something interesting. Uh, no, I'm already getting pulled in for, you know, this problem, this thing that failed, that thing that, you know, that went down. Um, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this up until the next meeting. Maybe I can do something worthwhile this afternoon. It might sound like Mark is just complaining or whining and he should be grateful to have a job and so on. It's all too easy to listen to somebody like this and say, oh, give me a break. But you know what? You're going to find yourself in his position in no time. Because really, think about it. If you're a developer, you're slinging code, you're good at it. Well, what are you going to do next? You ever thought about that? What are you going to do next when you become really, really good at what you do? That's what happened to Mark. He's a great coder delivered successes time after time. So they thought, well, hey, let's make you a manager, which unfortunately for Mark meant that he didn't get to do the thing that he loved to do, which is code. Also, unfortunately for Mark, he happened to be really, really good at his new job. Turns out he was a pretty good manager. I do get results. I, I, I've, if you ask people who have worked with me, you know, they, they claim that I'm a good manager. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, I might be a good manager. I might be able to do that job well, except I, I feel dead inside by doing it. It's not really me. Just because I'm good at doing it, it's not really who I am. I feel that I am not contributing uh, I might be contributing very, very strongly um, in my role. And a lot of people, when, when I've had these conversations with people I work with or, or you know, who work for me, um, they think I'm crazy when I, when I think this. But I feel like, what value am I really providing? Because I always, I, I think I'm wasted talent, that my real value was actually implementing these systems myself. Um, and the type of work that I do now, I feel, yeah, I might be good at it, but I, I, so many other people can do this 
that don't have the same skills that at least I used to have and I, I want to get back again. to get my hands in and actually do it that's when i feel like i've actually accomplished something managing a project that might end up being successful i feel that there's no special talent of mine that's that's helped driving that at least from from inside from my point of view um and i feel that there's other people who can do that that might enjoy it and might be better at it than i am uh I, I just feel like I don't provide as much value that other people might think that I provide, probably because I'm, I'm so unhappy doing it. It's not really who I am. I really loved my job at Microsoft, and I kept thinking of it as Mark was telling me his story. And I remember, you know, many reviews and sitting there with my manager and him saying, so Rob, you know, at some point you're going to have to decide what track you're going to go on. You know, you can go down the developer's track, or you can go down the management track. Which is it going to be, do you think? Because I wrote code, and I also uh, guided projects, too, from a management perspective. And they wanted me to pick one. And I just, I don't know, I couldn't do it. Well, eventually I left the job, and well, I went and did a couple of my own ventures. And I got to tell you, I feel much more comfortable on my own. And, you know, I'd be the first to say it. I really have a hard time working for other people. And the only thing that I dislike more than working for someone else is... Well, someone working for me. I am a horrible manager. And so I asked Mark, you know, do you think that's kind of your thing? Do you think you might just have like this entrepreneurial fire burning inside of you where you just want to work for yourself, have it be your own deal and no one else's? If I ran the thing myself, if I was on my own running the thing myself, I would also be, I, I'd be putting myself in a position where I'd actually have to do the work. No more employees, no more, nobody else working for me, nobody else that I have to report to. If I want to hire anybody, I'm going to be subcontracting work out to them. Uh, I'm not going to be, I, I'm, I'm trying to structure my next phase of my career where I don't have to manage anybody ever again. The only thing I have to do is, is deal with service companies, anything that I need to, you know, uh, subcontract any work out. And, you know, I, I'm, maybe I'm being naive that I'm going to not have to spend so much time managing, but I know where I am right now, I'm not going to have that opportunity being in a purely management role. Mark is not concerned only with himself. He's trying to help others, too. In fact, he's made it a bit of a cause of his to let developers know that, hey, you know, you don't have to be trapped in this management path. There's something you can do about it. An issue that I see several other people having that I've, I've spoken to about this. I see other people that, that I looked upon as, oh, wow, you know, there they are, you know, they have a, a fabulous career. They're doing exactly what they want to do. You know, they're moving on to the next company, the next company at, you know, uh, higher level roles at a technical level. And then I start seeing them, they start to get trapped into management and I'm warning them you are becoming me. I've been down this road. You're starting to feel these feelings. I, I understand it. You don't want to get at the point that I'm at right now. So this is not just, this is, this is a lot, you know, this is very common. One of the things I do recommend to other people in this situation who like me are trying to get back into development after being in management for a few years is to see if they can initially hook up 
with people that know what they're capable of that they've worked with in the past in the role that they want to get back into. Um, so they're going to know what you're trying to do. They, they have, you know, they have respect for your capabilities and they're willing to, you know, extend a hand to get you back in the door to get back in the game again. Um, so that's what I'm looking at myself is, is a couple of opportunities like that with people who knew me uh, when I've worked with them in the past of you know what I was capable of as a developer. I think it's a lot of a lot of people are going to be in the same situations that if they want to get back into development, trying to do it at their current company is it's going to be a lot more friction trying to do that than if they completely cut ties. Um, it's just they they've already established themselves. They're already looked upon as a manager at the company that they're at. They're already thought of as that role and trying to break people's habits of of trying to pull you into that role again is going to be extremely difficult to break. I think every job has an aspect that you don't like. You have duties you don't like, you have things you got to do that you don't like. But then it's a lot different to to be the person you don't want to be or to be that role you never intended on becoming. And you watch your career basically fly off a cliff. And sometimes it just does come right down to it. You just got to leave that job. There's really no way around it. Trying to recast yourself in a new role within a company that's dependent on you for a long time is pretty tough. Emotionally, I really had to make a change, but I couldn't do it because I had this responsibility, this very, very strong responsibility. It was very risky doing it. I could only get away with, you know, threatening it um, because I, I go way back with him. It was, it's only been since uh, my daughter's been on her own now that I I felt that I can do what I finally did is gave my, you know, my notice after, you know, all these years. Mark Friedman has a blog up at markfriedman.com where he writes about his experiences as a manager and gives you tips about ways to avoid falling into the same trap he did. Many thanks to Mark for his story today. isn't negative for everyone. Sometimes people just say, well, you know, I'm going to make the best of this thing. So I figured it would be kind of fun to talk to an old manager of my very own, Bertrand Leroy. So Scott went up to Redmond last week. And while he was there, he sat down with Bertrand. I talked to him also a little bit later, got his thoughts about being a manager and what he has decided to do with that title. You can let the job decide for you or you can decide what job you want to do. 
Uh, and um, it, it depends who you are. I mean, if you are a manager, uh, essentially, if, if that's something that that is what you are, then that's that's great. Uh, if you are somebody more technical, and if you're if you're a maker and you need to make things, otherwise you're going to be a very sad person. Then just change the job you're doing and and make it so that that yeah you do what you do what you like and yeah when when you do that and decide yourself who you are and what you want to do, most of the time you do a better job and uh, you get better reviews and uh, you get rewarded for that somehow. Or if you don't, it's time to move. Bertrand's title is project manager at Microsoft, but he also writes a ton of code. And I know from working with him that one of his favorite things to do is to prototype and he'll go home at night and he'll think of a neat thing and prototype it and bring it back in the morning. But, you know, it's interesting. He works at a place that allows you to basically define your job to do what you want to do. You got to make sure you're happy. But his title is also project manager. Yet he's managed to strike a balance. But now instead of maintaining one thing that you do, you have to do two things really well. You gotta be a coder, you gotta be a manager. Can't be easy. Oh yeah. Yeah, that that yeah, that of course crossed my mind. Yeah. Am I going to, you know, do nothing but manage people? And that is a hard job that I'm not sure I want to do. And actually, I tried it for a while. I used to be the manager for this guy who was living in Hawaii, you know? (laughs) In case you can't tell, Bertrand is talking about me. I had the privilege of being his first report, the first person that he had to manage. And I think I did a fine job of deterring him from ever wanting to do that again. It had its own challenges, you know. <laughs> that guy was actually pretty high maintenance. <laughs> I fart in your general direction. And uh, that that was interesting. And I, I had actually two reports, which is not a very large number of reports. But you know there is this kind of balance that you have when you when you have reports between caring too much, where basically you take all of their problems on your shoulders, and uh, you, you you carry the weight of you carry your own weight plus the weight of your of your reports, or you don't care enough and then you're a lousy boss. So uh, there is this balance to find that 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 is actually very hard to find, uh, and. I, I sense that this time that, yeah, I was drifting into management world uh, a little too far and that I had less and less time to do uh, technical stuff that I'm still very, very much interested in. So, yeah, there is this balance to find. And uh, the way I actually came back to being an individual contributor and uh, doing some more technical stuff is by just doing it. That was one of the bits of advice that Bertrand gave me when I first started working for him. And I found myself doing things like requirements and budgets and scopes and so on. And I'm not very good at that. And uh, I flat out told him, you know, this isn't my strong suit. He's like, all right, don't do it. If you don't want to do these things, don't do it. We'll figure it out. Good bit of advice. Not so easy when you work at a company that really just doesn't allow you to do lateral movement. But then there's a lot to be said about 
someone just doing something. If you're that valuable, if you're that needed and they can't do without you, well, then you could make your own space, can't you? Bertrand did. Kind of had to. Management just isn't really his thing. He's got a PhD in physics, of all things. And now he's a project manager. How does that work? I was more of a theoretical kind of physicist. So I was actually building formulas more than I was tinkering with, uh, with actual um, experimental physics. But it was the same kind of creative process. I mean, when you're, when you're after uh, an equation or, or, or a model for something, you're, you're actually, it's actually a creative process that, that is very much like software development. I can sort of see that, but not really. How do you go from being PhD physics guy to writing software? Uh, well, there was a transition uh, period. And actually, well, you know, uh, the, the people who start in physics today are going to have a very hard time finding a good job. And well, that's actually nothing new. It's been going on for a few decades. Uh, basically, after you've uh, written your PhD thesis, you usually spend between 10 and 15 years doing postdoc, which are um, relatively low pay uh, jobs that are usually very far from home and uh, where you, you try to publish as many papers as you as you can. You know, it's really, really hard. I mean, I have lots of admiration for my friends who actually stayed in that business. It's really hard to, to become a researcher today. And I guess I didn't have the persistence to do that. And I had another line of work that I could do, which was software development. And that one, in that, that one, it was very easy to find a job. The jobs were really well, well paid. And, you know, I'm just human, so I, I, I went for that. And actually, I, I love that sort of job. So that was good. Making the transition from a scientific field to software development, I guess, is not that uncommon. In fact, I used to be a geologist myself and transitioned into being a geek, running databases and so on. In fact, it's how I met my buddy, Todd, who is our third storyteller. We both worked together at an environmental company, neither of us doing then what we do now. But how do you go from a scientific field to something completely different like software development and then into project management? I spent about five years doing um, software development and architecture in a small web shop in France. And I built um, some kind of uh, content management system there uh, that was, I think, interesting in a few ways. And that helped me uh, getting hired by Microsoft. So I actually sent my resume to uh, somebody I knew at Microsoft and you know, it went around. I had some interviews and then I just moved across the ocean and came here in Microsoft and started being a developer here. And I did that for how long? Oh, six years, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And then um, my the, the program manager I was working with at the time uh, went on vacation and he asked me 
to do his job in addition to my job. And uh, so I happened to do his job for a couple of weeks. And I liked it. And I was also, you know, doing some, uh, some stuff in uh, community uh, management, stuff like that, that I was doing on the side as well, you know, just because I, I love that kind of work. And from that, uh, well, he asked me to, if, I, if I wanted to do that full time. And I, I said, yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah, being a manager is challenging. And when you're a developer and you start to go into doing more management, well, the very facets of being a good manager will turn into a challenge. And you face them and you deal with them just like you would with any other coding problem. You solve them. And if you find out that you're good, well, hey, guess what? You get to do it again and again and again. As software developers, by definition, we're a creative bunch. I mean, that's what we do. We create stuff. And it's intoxicating. And you get to release it and share it with the world. But as a manager, it's kind of the opposite. I mean, you can still be creative if you want to, but management tasks mean that you pretty much have to refine and refine what you do over and over to make it better and more efficient. And you have to impose that on your team. As a creative person, I mean, that can suck the soul right out of you. Make you hate your job, sort of like Mark is hating his job. But how do you keep creative? How do you keep inspired? Yeah, that, that's very important. That's the important part, I think. Uh, doing something new, not necessarily a new form of what you were doing before. Um, but if you become a manager by default because you're worn out or, I don't know, maybe you haven't looked hard enough. I don't, I don't know if creative people ever stop being creative. I, I actually have never seen that. Have you? No, I haven't. Not really. That, that doesn't happen. I think people get so bored. I, I, think it's, I, I think it's a poor excuse. I don't know. Oh, actually, yesterday I was, I was uh, talking to a friend who's in, uh, in a phase where he doesn't, he's never had something like that before. He has always been someone who wanted to, who knew what he wanted to do. And currently he doesn't really know, but, and he's a very creative person. And I don't expect that to last very long. I think he'll find something. He's just in that process of finding what he wants to do next. And I also have a, a, a very good friend who used to be an engineer like me. And we were working together actually uh, in France. And one day he just said, well, I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm quitting and now I'm doing music full time. And that was a very brave thing to do because he had no connections uh, in music. Well, it was just, there was no reason to believe that he would succeed, but he did. He actually became pretty well-known in France. Uh, uh, he's a recognized musician and he's successful in that business, but you know, so let me rephrase what I said earlier, maybe, uh, Doing that by default, doing management by default is maybe not a poor excuse. It's uh, because it's not easy to be <laughs> brave enough to take that sort of leap of faith that you can do something else. And I guess for someone like me, it's uh, so easy to have fun doing something technical that, I mean, you see what I mean? Th that transition is not as radical as what that guy has been doing. 
I think there is a limit to what is due to your own merit and uh, that limit is where luck begins and I consider myself a very lucky person. Uh, I've had the, the fortune, the good fortune to uh, always do pretty much what I wanted to do and I, I'm well aware that I'm very privileged in that and that most people actually don't have that sort of choice. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, just do some open source projects at night and uh, eventually you'll get recognized for your work and uh, maybe you can get hired to do that stuff full time. Yeah, sure, that can happen, but it probably can't happen to everyone. Right? There is a fair amount of luck involved in that. So, yeah, it's not easy. As for technical excuses, uh, having to do with what what your job description is about, you don't you don't stop doing what you're paid for and just do whatever you want. First, you do what you're paid for, and here and there you go through the cracks. And well, if there is this opportunity to build a prototype, you build that prototype, and you build that reputation and that image. Uh, about about you, where you are, and two things can happen. People can accept it and uh, actually rec recognize you for who you are, or they can actually not like that. And well, in that case, maybe it's time to move. I don't know. It's an easy thing to say, of course. is an easy thing to say, especially when you have done it. Many thanks to Bertrand Leroy for his thoughts today. And for those of you wondering, I unduly pick on Bertrand whenever I can. You can read more about Bertrand and his musings on life at weblogs.asp.net forward slash B-Leroy, B-L-E-R-O-Y. Everybody was back in the house. And I was all alone at the beach with this freaky guy. The freaky guy. 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 Asking me weird questions. He's like, why do you have an accent? Where are you from? And I say, France. Oh, France. Oh, France. Where is that? He started touching me. Touching me and caressing me. Asking me more questions about friends. Do they do have, they uh, have hot, water. hot water in France? Do you France? guys dance? And I was like, <laughs> this, this feels <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, if you haven't noticed, we've been missing something this week. Yeah, that's my compatriot, Mr. Hanselman. 
he is traveling, so he is not able to participate as much as he wants. Although he did do an interview with Bertrand, and I've got a clip of it that I'd love to share with you. It was a great story. It was actually a story that Scott told about uh, coming up against a manager who has retained his technical chops. Here, I'll let him tell the story. It's great. Last time, last time that I came up to Microsoft, I wrote this um, this little mobile view engine thing, and I spent like seven hours writing code straight. And I think I ended up with like 94 lines of code in like seven hours. But it was the most satisfying seven hours that I'd had in weeks. It's, it's funny because while I was writing this thing, I started out with, it started with, with 50 lines of broken code. Mm-hmm. Like it was broken. And it wasn't broken in a, there's a bug, fix one line. It was broken in a, this was fundamentally wrong. And it needs to be rewritten. Like mm-hmm. the direct, it was a, it was a dead end street, a one way dead end. I was I had coded myself into a corner. So I said, "All right, I'm going to take this chunk of crap and I'm going to put it over here on the wall and I'm going to look at it." And then I started writing from scratch. And then I wrote like 200 lines and I got it to work. And I think I iterated in that seven hours five times. And I showed it to three or four people. I'm not sure if I showed it to you. I showed it to Phil. Yes, I showed it to Dimitri. Talked to you. And then, and we kind of refactored it and sculpted it. And then suddenly it was like the tightest possible fifty odd lines that it could be. Uh, yeah, and you got different suggestions from everyone. Totally different. Yep. And it was so much better than I than my my first one and my fifth one and my you know I mean <laughs> yeah. And it was so satisfying. How. Can you get that kind of satisfaction from managing people? Yeah. Well, the difference between managing people and doing stuff <laughs> is, that <laughs> is that instead of doing stuff, you are enabling other people to do stuff. And sometimes it's, you know, uh, making sure that they don't have the distractions. That So you, you're facilitating in that way. And you're also facilitating through conversation and, you know, brainstorming and, uh, yeah, ideas pop up. And five people are more intelligent than five people. I mean, together, five people are more intelligent than five people on their own. When, um, while I was writing this code, I was cursing Anders Heilsberg, uh-huh. the, the inventor of... We do that a lot. Uh, the inventor yeah. of C Sharp. I was saying... Damn it, Anders! If 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 only you had designed it this way, and damn it, Anders! And it became a joke over the course of the day, right? So you know, here I am, coding for the first time in a week, my sad little fifty lines of code, and I'm trying to get it just right, and I'm sculpting, and then Dimitri comes in, and I'm not sure how much higher he is than I am in the company, but it's four or five levels up, something, and like over that. to the corner. So he's like my great 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 uncle, uh-huh. in an organizational sense. And he comes over, and Dimitri is this amazing, as uh, you from Ukraine or Russia? I don't know exactly f- where from Russia. Somewhere, but when I do his accent, it'll be clear. But he comes over, and he looks at the code for like three minutes, completely and instantly absorbs what it's doing, makes two suggestions that make the code ten times better, and then looks at me straight in the face and says... Don't blame Anders for your bad design. I'm not to be fucked with. with. And then walks away. And it was just like, like 
if this was like a rap battle, he would have like dropped the microphone and then just walked off stage. <laughs> they say they never really miss you till you dead or you gone. So on that note, I'm leaving after the song. So you ain't got to feel no way about Jay so long. But at least let me tell you why I'm this way. Hold on. I was conceived by Gloria Carter. It was epic. And it was like, wow, don't underestimate your manager. I don't know. I think cursing is very useful in the, <laughs> in the developer's jobs. Yeah? Yeah, you need to curse at, at specific people and blame them for, uh, for your faults, actually. I, I disagree with Dimitri. I, I mean, you were wrong, of course, but... But I think you, you were right in, in focusing your anger on somebody. But when you were See what I mean? It gives you it gives you direction, it gives you focus. <laughs> but you were but I was wrong, of course. Scott will be joining us once again next week. Missed him for the show. Hustlers, we don't sleep, we rest one eye up. And the drought to find a man when the well dries up. You learn to work the water without work, you thirst till you die. Yep. And niggas get tired of a product, the little brothers ring fingers get cut up the show. Project management doesn't need to be something that you dread and fear. In fact, I have a really good friend, Todd Basin, whom I've known for a very, very long time, and he has established himself a pretty good career being a project manager. Uh, He started out as a chemical engineer in the environmental consulting industry. In fact, that's where uh, he and I worked together a long, long time ago. And he climbed his way up the management chain and found that he really, really enjoyed it. Next thing he knows, he's sitting on top of multi-million dollar budgets, one of the big refineries in the San Francisco Bay Area. Todd has always been kind of a geek, very scientifically minded. As I mentioned, he graduated with a degree in chemical engineering, went on to the Navy and scored so high in his placement exam at the Navy, they gave him the pick of uh, duties that he could do. So he ended up picking nuclear engineer on the Enterprise, the flagship uh, aircraft carrier of the entire United States Naval Fleet. It's a pretty prestigious position, and you got to be pretty darn smart to get there. And now, many, many years later, Todd finds himself as a project manager. So he and I talked the other day, and I asked him straight up, how in the hell did you get here? Well, I had always been interested in the science and the engineering part. I think, you know, most people that take the time to study that in school, you know, enjoy that, enjoy the technical stimulation and the challenges of that. But if you're not a complete idiot, if you are reasonably articulate and can deal with people, you know, at some point you're successful to a point in the technical aspects and there's sort of a pressure to become a manager. It seems, you know, 
I think the non-technical folks are the ones you know you don't want to put in front of clients or 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 running a group of people. So for me, that became real obvious about six, seven years in that that was the road I was heading down. And at first, I resisted it a little bit, I'd say, um, because you know what you know. You're getting very good at the technical parts. Um, but at some point, it, I considered it a, its own set of challenges. Here's a whole new discipline that I hadn't studied and I wasn't good at. And getting to understand even simple things like scheduling software and budgeting and and understanding some of these financial, you know, metrics that they're looking at and all of that. It seemed exciting. And then working with the team and, and sort of leading a group of folks, there's a little bit of ego in that in terms of being a leader uh, and seeing if you have what it takes to be a leader, which is kind of a different set of skills. This has always fascinated me when it comes to project management. You know, that you can have a project manager that fancies himself the leader of the team and kind of dictates over everybody what to do and when to do it. Or you can have someone who's a little bit more reserved, who plays more of a facilitator's role. That's what I asked Todd. I mean, were you a leader? Were you the alpha dog? Well, I did see myself as the leader. I saw myself as the person who was sort of set the vision. And, you know, I was quite often involved in most of my projects right up front in proposal development stages and, and in some of the initial scoping. I think once the project was was together and we began to get into, you know, in our cases, architecture and design and some of these other things, the technical team took the lead and I felt like that changed. Like my role was more or less, you know, I was the cat herder. You know, the cats were running around going crazy. And it was my job to just keep them, keep them going down the road that they said they wanted to go on for the project. And so I, I felt like eventually as a project would go further and further along, my role would evolve into support. Uh, I, I, I mean, I knew I was in charge and I knew I was making the final calls on and decisions on things, but I really felt like my job was to support the project. When when my technical folks didn't have what they need, it was my job to go, you know, arm wrestle, you know, senior management and, and get it for them. And, and so, um, you know, it's sort of the old Microsoft model where the inverted pyramid where I felt like I supported the larger group and it worked well that way, I thought. And, you know, at some point that keeps you from getting maybe too much ego in your role too. So that, that seemed helpful. I remember watching a Star Trek episode a long time ago. Not the, not any of the new ones. It was the old classic one. It was the one where Kirk had his evil taken out of him, turned into a wimp. He was no longer able to command the Enterprise effectively. Take sharp teeth to be the alpha dog. You, know, you mix sharp teeth with a pretty keen intellect, and someone who likes to be the alpha dog, well, you got a pretty good manager. Todd knows how to use that to his advantage. Well, I, I think there's the part if we're if we're going back again talking about ego there was the there was the flush of victory um you know we had we had gone on to this very challenging uh you know project site and with nothing it was literally me walking in the door and over the period of the next year had hired 15 new staff started a new office uh, taken over a lot of projects that weren't going so well, had shown significant improvements, not only technically, but significantly uh, reduced the costs of doing the work. Uh, and so, you know, the typical day involved me, you know, I sort of had alluded to the herding cats part with all of these 
many, many sub projects going on. Very busy, lots of people in and out of my office, uh, three, four phone calls a day, four or five meetings a day. And so there was a part of that that there's just a kind of a buzz and an energy. And when everything's going well, I mean, there's occasionally fires to put out. It's not like everything is going well, but when the overall sense of what's going on in the project is exciting and, and you're moving and, and there's a lot of success and, and accolades, you know, it's very, it's very seductive. It's, it's, you realize you're good at this thing and it's, it makes for a very positive work experience. Um, of course, those very same types of things under a, under a black cloud, if things aren't going so well, you know, they're, they're, the satisfaction level is, is very different. But I tend to put a lot of myself into my work. Uh, I mean, I think anyone that spends nine, 10 or more hours a day on the job, you're, you're a fool if you don't have a lot of yourself in it because you're spending most of your day, you know, outside of your head and outside of your, your body or whatever. But so me, I brought, brought that all to the table. So when the project is doing well, by default, I'm doing well. And so I, you know, there was, there's quite a personal rush in that. I can remember, you know, during this period getting several phone calls and it, they were, at first they were phone calls from the client saying, you're doing a rocking job. And then from my management saying, we heard you're doing a rocking job. And then from a bunch of people in senior management in, in both of the companies saying, you guys are doing such a good job. We want to turn you into the model and we want you to tell us what you're doing and, and you're the best in class. And we would like you to, you know, put this on paper, how we do this. So we want to do this around the country and these types of things are you know that's what you're in business for right for me of course you're there for the money but I'm not getting rich in this business and and so you're there for those those moments and those those accolades and so that was it was great it was you know you come home juiced from work every night and and uh, and ready to go to work the next day Todd's a guy that likes to make things and build things much like a software developer we you like to create but there's another part of him that we all have, which is gratified by doing a really good job by kind of facilitating and moving a project forward. And it strokes your ego. You can take responsibility for it and say, I did that. All of us have a creative side, a little artist that lives in our brain, balanced with the businessman, the more stoic, pragmatic aspect. Question is, which voice do you let get louder? Which voice do you let dictate your career? For Todd, he very much enjoyed the management side. For Mark, well, he's a little bit more creative. You know, what you describe about uh, technical folks and their views of managers, I mean, I can't say I didn't have that view myself uh, coming up through the ranks that managers were a bunch of idiots. And, and of, of course, just like anywhere in the world, there's a certain number of them that are. And there's a certain number of ones that are really competent and know their job and they know when to sort of inject themselves into projects and when to get the hell out of the way and let the talented people to do their work. Um, I know that within the, you know, the engineering realms, of course, I, you know, I was very good at engineering. And so I, you know, maybe would insert myself a little heavier into projects on, on those projects. And maybe when I was doing IT work, I was more like, no, I'm just going to be here to help you guys schedule and budget and stay on track. And I don't really know that much about what you guys are doing. I need to know enough to know when I need to in inject myself and find out more. Uh, and so that was a different sort of premise, I guess. It wasn't as much of a struggle as you think, as you, as you say, the, the ego says, oh, this is, you know, this means that they value my skill set and therefore this is a sort of logical development. And so I think I went into that without a lot of struggle. I, I think the struggle came later. 
um, as I actually got there and realized I was doing very well and began to climb the management chain and then maybe found myself with a little bit more sort of self-loathing. I had achieved it. My ego had said, I can do this thing. And in fact, I got very successful at it. And then as I'm looking at the engineering and the, you know, in the taillights moving away, I was kind of like, oh, there goes that thing that I really loved. And do I love this thing more? Um, maybe not. Uh, I've enjoyed certain aspects of it, but, but, you know, what's the price been for that? When people moan and groan about being a manager, most of the time they're talking about having to deal with conference calls and meetings and endless group emails and your calendar pinging at you constantly that you got to be doing something else, anything other than what you really want to be doing. As Bertrand pointed out earlier, when you start managing others, that's when it gets tricky. Sometimes you like it. Sometimes that human contact can fire you up, make you feel like you're contributing to someone else's career. Other times, we end up with somebody like Mark, our first storyteller, who just doesn't want to do the job. So I asked Todd, I said, you know, what do you do when you have an employee that is going down a track? Let's say they want to be a manager. Let's say they're a manager under you and they don't want to do it. What do you tell them? Yeah, the, this has happened to me um, on more than one occasion. Uh, I always take two swings at the plate uh, with the person and really push them hard because if I think they're a good manager, then, you know, I think it's, I think it's really natural to doubt that as you're looking at that, you know, in the in the rearview mirror. Uh, so I, I'll usually push them and say, you know, you're really good at this. You've got a big future here. Um, and I'll paint the picture of what happens if they go back to it. And I'm not claiming I know if they'll be happier or not. They, they may be, but um, there's a there's a limit on uh, the technical track folks in, in engineering, and they're inevitably going to make less money and keep doing the same thing that they're doing. Um, they'll go from project to project doing what they do and doing what they do well. And will that excite them 10 years down the line? Is that really where they want to go? So I'll usually push them a little bit and, and remind them about some of those things. Um, you know, if they're really, if they really don't want to be a manager, then, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll let them let them out with uh, with blessings and and find a role for them because talented folks I don't want to lose them I don't you know I don't care if they don't do what I wish they would do uh, I you know you don't want to lose talented folks so I've pushed pretty hard and I've kept some people I think on a track that probably is going to make them happier in the long run because I had some of that experience indeed as I mentioned I've worked with Todd a number of times he's a pretty capable manager inspires people pushes them and gets them to do things that maybe they want to do maybe they don't. That's what a good manager does. I mean, sometimes they have to get inside your head, make you feel better about what it is you're doing, where it is you're going, or sometimes they just show you the door. And that's at this point that the conversation got rather interesting. It turns out that Todd is changing his career. And I've known about this for a while. So I asked him, I said, you know, what's behind this change? Is it because the track in front of you as a manager's manager, the guy who sits in the corner office, is that something that, well, doesn't really appeal to you? So I've made a decision about that. I, I turned down my next logical management promotion, and I think I decided I'm going to move into another field to find something that I enjoy doing more too. I think there's two elements. Uh, one, yeah, of course, you, you like it more when, when things are going well. But I, I, you know me, when adversity comes, I'm, I'm the kind of push, person that'll push back harder than I'm being pushed on. So uh, that, that's not the part that broke me, I think, inevitably. Uh, uh, for this career. I think um, for me, what happened is, is 
despite the, some of the adversity, I still was continuing to grow the management track, as it were. And I felt like I was getting, the more successful I got, the farther and farther I was getting away from several other things that I like, not just the technical side. Um, as you go, go up in uh, management, eventually you even start moving away from the people. You're no longer just managing projects where you're with a team of whatever, three, four, five, ten people that you get to work with every day. And I was describing that buzz and energy about people coming in and out of my office. Well, eventually you get to the point where you're managing divisions or offices from afar and you get further and further from human contact. So for me, when I'm losing the human contact, I'm losing the technical aspects and all I'm left with with really are these long distance phone calls and and bean counting and number crunching and all of that that was my limit i realized that i don't enjoy this the, i think the last connection to me was the was the human part and so thus my career change really to medicine i i have this field ahead of me where every bit is intellectually and scientifically stimulating but each and every day there'll be many many people coming to me and and you know for one-on-one -on -one interactions and and that kind of human contact that I think is uh, is important for me many thanks to Todd Basin for sharing his story with us today keep telling him to get a blog some publicly recognizable place where people can see what he's thinking, but you won't do it. What are you going to do? Episode 9 of This Developer's Life. And many thanks to our sponsors, Twilio, T W I L I O. Check them out at twilio.com. If you need voice or SMS for your application, Twilio is a service that you need to know about. Also, Sublime SVN, an SVN server built for Windows machines. You kick up your subversion repository, help you manage it, do all kinds of cool stuff like send email, work over RSS and so on. Again, there would not be uh, This Developer's Life without those uh, sponsors' support. So many, many thanks from us to them. I'm Rob Connery. And this is Scott Hanselman. And this is Scott Hanselman. Thank you so much for listening. Order some Patrizzi while talking to this breezy Brushing off my three-piece I make this look too easy So tall and lanky My suit, it should thank me I make it look I'm all that in the sack. Get, get it. I spoiled her. 
spoiled it if you're faking jack She's used to million dollar vacations Fuck y'all gonna do with that Equal, baby. So, Rico, 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 Rico